I want to give a special shout out to uh, Aaron Rodgers for sympathizing with what I'm going through uh, because it really did seem like uh, the level of empathy skyrocketed after his injury. You know, before, you know, after this happened, had some, you know, good phone calls and texts from some men at the church, which was really great and uh, guys showing sympathy. But after that injury, people started calling saying, hey, man, I, I heard what happened to Aaron Rodgers. I am so sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. We're, we're thankful for everything the Lord uses to work in our lives. What's that? Yeah, unfortunately, no, yeah. My, uh, my $2 million contract with NCC is not coming through. So. <laughs> well, gentlemen, as we're getting started, let's go ahead and open up our time with a word of prayer, and we'll uh, look at our material. Gracious Lord, uh, we come before you this morning humbled, grateful, um, worshipful just for all of the things that you're doing in our lives, for giving us this chance this morning to look at your word, uh, study how the Holy Spirit, how you are working in our lives. And so we ask for clarity. Uh, we ask for uh, open hearts that we would be able to receive all that you have for us this morning and know better how to relate to the Holy Spirit. And so we thank you. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So as you see in your uh, sheets, we're going to be covering uh, what does it mean to actually get the Holy Spirit or to be filled with the Holy Spirit. As believers, you know, we know, as uh, Pastor Rich has so eloquently said, um, that every single believer has the Spirit in us, right? And so we want to be able to understand how that actually takes place, especially in light of the fact that uh, there are many different ideas of what it means to receive or to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, you know, there's many people who are indeed faithful believers who have wrong understandings in which it's more based around the idea of emotion or experience. And if you were reading in our book from Kasi Hin, you know, you got some ideas of what that could look like. And actually, when I was in college as a freshman, I had one of those types of church experiences. See, I grew up in a, a very solid church, but as I was entering my college phase, finally being on my own for the first time, was obviously trying to figure out what did I truly believe versus what I was told. And so as part of that quote-unquote discovery experience, which again, I wouldn't recommend for everyone, uh, I was at first attending a, a very sort of a charismatic church. And so at one of the college retreats that they offered, uh, it was one of those classic moments where they had amazing music playing in the background. And it was a time of just intense prayer and crying out from the group as a whole. Everyone was kind of doing their own thing, and some people were crying on the side, some were having very intense prayer sessions. But I remember at that evening, uh, there were one or two of the leaders that came up to me and said, would you like to now receive more of the Holy Spirit? And at the time, you know, I, I had my understanding of what I thought was biblical, which we would say was true, but saying, you know, may maybe there's something more that I just don't know about, right? And so I told them, sure, I would be happy to. Again, at the time, praying God, to God, saying, Lord, I don't know what's real, what's not. Uh, I don't want to be caught into something that's wrong, so please work in this moment. And so very soon, there were four people that were all around me praying at the same time, breathing in and out at the same time, kind of pushing literally on my chest. And uh, you know, they were almost holding me up as I'm you know, half falling over. And you know, as they're, they're praying and they're asking for God, it's getting louder and louder and more emotional and more emotional and the whole time i'm thinking is this it am i going to get some kind of crazy experience now uh, but after about four minutes of trying uh, nothing happened and eventually it seemed like they just looked at each other said huh and gave up 
All right, so then they, they went off to continue to give to the Holy Spirit to other people. And I think one of them said, maybe today is just not the day. You know, maybe next time it will happen. Uh, but I think that you know, many of us have had that type of experience or understanding or thought of what it means to receive the Holy Spirit or to be filled by him. Um, but I, I think as we look at scripture, as we're going to do this morning, uh, we see that you know, what it means to be indwelled by the Spirit, to have him in us, is something that's a lot less dramatic Right? It's a lot less maybe emotional or, or exciting, but it's something that's much more life-giving. And as we understand what biblically the Holy Spirit does in our life, it is exciting in a different kind of way, not in the extravagant emotionalism, but in the way that we see God as we see him truly working in our lives. And so hopefully this will be a, a helpful uh, time together. And so if you're looking at your notes, we're just going to start from the top uh, under indwelling with what it means. And just to clarify, right, because I know one of the, the challenges that Pastor Rich gave us last week is that the Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity, so we wouldn't call him an it. You know, we call him he because he is God. All of these it's don't refer to the Holy Spirit. It's referring to indwelling, right? So that we're looking at what indwelling means. And so you'll see there uh, the basic definition. And dwelling is the spiritual state in which the Holy Spirit, that is God, resides within a believer. And so very simply, it's just God in us. He is now dwelling within us. He is not only with us, but he is now in us. That's one of the great transformations or changes we see in the New Testament period. And two verses that we read before, and we're going to read many times as we go on in this series, especially on Sunday morning, we have two passages from John. Can we get two men that would be willing to read these passages? Uh, the first one being John 14, 16 to 17. Okay, great. And then the next one being John 16, verse 7. Someone had that passage? Okay, wonderful. So the first one being John 14, 16 to verse 17. Can you go ahead and read that, Tony? Excellent. A passage we're going to get to even on Sundays very soon, but Jesus is trying to encourage his disciples, despite everything going on, despite Judas betraying them, the, despite Peter being foretold that he's going to leave Jesus, you know, it's going to be okay. And one of the reasons is because as Christ is then going to be leaving the disciples earthly and physically, he's going to send the Holy Spirit who as, you know, we see in verse 17, he dwells with you, right? Even then as believers, the Holy Spirit was with the disciples, but the unique truth which is coming is that he will be in you. And let's go and look at John 16, verse 7 to see more information. Charlie, please go ahead and read. Very good. Right, so part of the encouragement is the Holy Spirit will not come until I, that is Jesus, leaves. And it's been stated before, but it's worth repeating. You know, how many times do you and I just imagine if Jesus were physically, literally with me, life would be so much easier, right? Whether it's going through the ups and downs of the unknown to just see him and say, Jesus, is it going to be okay? And he looks at you and says, it is going to be okay. Right? And then you think, maybe I'm going to feel so much better about my situation. Or to see some kind of miracle being performed in front of you to kind of reconfirm your faith. 
we all have these ideas that if I were to just see some type of visible sign, if Jesus were to be literally with me, I know that my life would be better. But he himself says, it is to your advantage that I go away, right? That is an astounding thought that our walk with God, the, the way that we can live the Christian life in some sense is going to be more advantageous because Christ was leaving the earth. And why? It's not because it's better that he's just gone. It's because now instead of God being with us, he is in us. That is a profound thought in how we live the Christian life as we're going to see in just a little bit. It is amazing. It is good that we now have the Holy Spirit indwelling with us, even more so than Christ physically walking alongside us, telling us what to do. Uh, so that's what, a very basic understanding of what indwelling means. But the big question, as we've seen so far, and we're going to see as we continue on, is how uh, it's actually changed. See, the fact that we have the Holy Spirit in us is a unique part of this New Testament era. It wasn't something that was guaranteed or done in the Old Testament, and we're going to go ahead and see uh, why that's the case. When you look at the pages of the Old Testament, you see how the Holy Spirit was indeed with God's people. Um, and there are times in which he would actually indwell people, but the way that you see Old Testament indwelling is very different than how it's being done today. And so I think we have some of the slides over here. First of all, uh, Old Testament indwelling of the Holy Spirit was or could be a temporary thing. That is that he would come upon certain individuals uh, and empower them for very great works, uh, but it wasn't always guaranteed to be a permanent action. Right? You think of Psalm 51 where David is crying out, uh, Lord, please do not take your spirit away from me. As we're going to see in some of these passages, though, the Holy Spirit would come upon a person for a, a season and a time, but then leave. And so though you could have God with you and upon you, it's not something that would be guaranteed to last your entire lifetime. Uh, what's another category here? You see that the Old Testament indwelling did not happen to every single believer. Right? As we're going to see in some of these passages, it was very unique individuals for season and for a purpose, but the vast majority of Old Testament believers in Israel would never encounter the Holy Spirit in that type of direct, very personal manner. In fact, as you see in Numbers 24, there's times where the Holy Spirit would actually empower even a non-believer or someone that was not directly a follower of God. Right? Again, that doesn't mean that that person was saved, but the Holy Spirit would allow that person to work or prophesy in a unique way in the person of Balaam. A third role here, as we've already alluded to, the Holy Spirit's indwelling in the Old Testament was done only for a very specific, special role. So again, it's not every single believer for every single part of their walk in life. It was for a unique purpose. And so let's go ahead and look at four examples here. Again, we're going to need four men to read. Uh, the first passage being Exodus 35, 30 to verse 35. Can we get someone to read that? Okay, uh, we'll have Kurt. Then we have Numbers 27, verse 18. Okay, Charlie. Uh, Judges 6, 34. Dan. And then 1 Samuel 16, 13 to verse 14. Okay, I think Patrick in the back there. So let's start off with Exodus 35, uh, 30 to verse 35.
perfect. So if you've never read the, Holy, uh, the Old Testament, you might be reading this and thinking, what on earth is going on? And basically in this passage, you know, uh, God is giving the instructions for making the tabernacle, the very ornate, very specific designs and things that he wants done. And the Holy Spirit was coming upon these men as they're working physically on the tabernacle, right? So that's not something that you and I would always expect to happen today, but God was actually filling or empowering these men to work as craftsmen skillfully and perfectly to build the tabernacle. Uh, let's look at another passage, Numbers 27, verse 18, to see how we see the Holy Spirit in filling certain people. Very good, right? So here the Holy Spirit was coming upon Joshua for what reason? To help him lead Israel, right? As they're getting ready to uh, pass the mantle from Moses to Joshua, he's getting ready to take the people into the promised land. The Holy Spirit was uniquely on him to be able to lead the people through the conquest. Let's look at another passage, Judges 6.34. Very good. So similar to Joshua, as Gideon is getting ready to judge or to lead the people of Israel, it's the same thing. Not every single believer in Israel had the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit was coming upon Gideon to empower him as he was getting ready to judge and lead the people. And now here we're going to see a really interesting transition as we look at 1 Samuel 16. This is where we see some of the other characteristics that we've talked about. Who has 1 Samuel 16? Okay. Yeah, that is a shocking verse, right? You have Saul, who was the king of Israel, who had the Holy Spirit upon him, empowering his rule, but through the passing of the kingship to David, the Holy Spirit literally leaves him, takes, uh, falls upon David, and in response, an evil spirit is now haunting Saul. Uh, we should thank God that that will not happen to us, right? That the Holy Spirit can suddenly leave, and now we're being possessed by an evil spirit. But hopefully through these examples and many others that you can look at, you see how the indwelling of the Spirit was very different in the Old Testament period, right? It was temporary. It was not for everyone for very specific reasons. And at any time in God's design, uh, he might be leaving you and you would not have that empowering anymore. See, that was the norm in the Old Testament. People understood that maybe if you were a special, special person, God might be working in you. But as we enter into the New Testament era, something very different happens. And you see a lot of these traits in John 14, 16, and 17, which we've already read. But let me go ahead and read them here. First off, now that we have Christ, something is very different. Number one, the Holy Spirit's indwelling is permanent. It's not something that you and I have to worry about him coming and going based on what we're doing or the circumstances of history and life. If you have the Holy Spirit, he is now with you you. And secondly, the Holy Spirit does not only come upon the most elite of the elite of God's people. If you are in Christ, you have him in you. The Holy Spirit indwells every single believer. And so then thirdly, how does the Holy Spirit work in us? Is that now instead of empowering us for only a unique role and a unique time, 
If you are a believer, the Holy Spirit indwells you and empowers you for all of the Christian life. That is such an encouraging reality here. Oftentimes, you know, in the Old Testament, you see how the Holy Spirit would come upon people. But now in the New Testament, through Christ, you see how he enters into people. And I hope that as you're, you know, hearing and understanding better the difference between the Old and New Testament, you walk away realizing this is an incredible change in the epochs of, of world history. This is an amazing fact that we should be able to worship God and praise God for that we uniquely now have God working in us in a unique and powerful and special way. It's not something that we should be taking for granted that we have the Holy Spirit. You know, it kind of the, the transition and difference is almost like if you've seen an immigrant father that came to the United States at a very young age, worked his tail off to now build, whether it's a business or an empire to be able to have a, a certain level of wealth, right? It's not something that he takes for granted and really appreciates every single dollar, every single house or property or, or car that he owns. And then you have the son. Right, that's born into that wealth, maybe a snot-nosed brat, right? It just takes everything for granted, feels entitled, wakes up every day saying, I'm hungry, where's my food, right? Because that person is born into all of that wealth, maybe he doesn't realize truly how special it is, begins to just take it for granted, assumes that it's just something he should have, but not really appreciating it for what it is, right? I think for us that are born in this New Testament era, we can be like that little kid, we don't realize how incredible it is that the Holy Spirit is in us, that he works in us and empowers us for the Christian life. We just assume, you know what, I'm in Jesus, so this should happen. But that's not how God has worked for centuries before. And so this is a reason that we must worship God, that we must praise him for sending the Spirit in us, because that is a unique gift. And so how do we actually see this take place? Let's look at a couple examples here in this next section. Why does it matter that we are now indwelled in the Spirit in the way that we are? See, now that we have the Spirit in us, we as believers can live uniquely in a way that was completely different than the Old Testament believers prior. And we're going to study this for the next couple of weeks, but you know, today let's cover a couple of these examples. Number one, how does the Holy Spirit change us? He makes us God's dwelling. Can someone go ahead and uh, pick up this passage? And let me give the others so we can take a look at this, uh, just ha have them ready. The first one is 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Can someone find that passage for us? Okay. Uh, who had the John 14, 26? Someone already had that passage before. If not, can someone go ahead and volunteer to read that? Okay, Kurt. And then uh, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Can someone read that? Great. Okay, so we're going to look at three examples in depth, the others we're going to cover as we go through this fall session. So the first one, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to verse 20. Good. If, if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard this verse many times. You say, yeah, you know, I, I'm a temple of God. Great. I'm the temple of God. That, again, is a very significant deal. It, right, if you study the Old Testament, you see how God's work in the people of Israel, that's not something to be taken lightly. 
you know, study through the Pentateuch and go through Joshua and Judges and 1 Samuel and all the way through the end, you know that one of the big questions that the people of Israel are asking is, how can a holy God dwell with the sinful people? And so you have the period in the wilderness with the tabernacle, and then they were beginning to build this temporary dwelling in which God could be with his people and dwell with them, but at the same time it was separate. You had all of those sacrifices filled with all kinds of death and blood, which were the constant reminder that we were sinners and that there was still something that needed to be done in order for God to kind of be with his people. And then all the way as you go into 2 Samuel and you see how the the temple was then being built, this immaculate dwelling. God could be with his people, but the Israelites would always look and see that is where God is. But now that we have Christ, what's changed is that you and I, if we are in Christ, we are now God's temple. We are the dwelling place of Yahweh because the Holy Spirit is in us. That is not uh, something we should take lightly. He is in us. And you think about all of the sacrifices and how pure and holy the, the temple needed to be. That is how we are now called to live. That's the whole point that Paul is making in 1 Corinthians 6. Because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, what? Glorify God in your body. Just as the temple in that olden day needed to be perfect and clean and immaculate and, and covered with sacrifices and done in a very specific type of way, that's how you and I must now live. Because you are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Men, don't take that lightly. Uh, let's look at another amazing reality of, of the spirits and dwelling. Uh, John fourteen twenty six. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Yes, it would be good to, to mark or note this verse because it's one that we're going to come to a lot in this series. The Holy Spirit is described as what? The Helper, the Paraclete. And that's a word of someone who's coming alongside another to aid or to help that person. One of the benefits we have as New Testament believers with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us is he is our help. And that doesn't mean that we can define it however we want. right? It doesn't mean that we can't, as some people say, that he's just our buddy and he's always there for us. But it's the idea that as we're living the Christian life, we know that we are not alone. That God, as the Spirit, is enabling and coming alongside us. And as you read in all the verses in the New Testament, as we're going to see as we continue in the series, you see how the Holy Spirit teaches us. He strengthens us. He intercedes for us. He comforts us. There are so many ways that we are not living this life alone. This is why Jesus can say, it is better that I go Because it's not that you're no longer getting help, you're getting better help in the form of the Holy Spirit coming alongside and working in us. Man, the way that you should understand the Holy Spirit being our helper is that you now have the greatest spiritual enabling possible. It's not like you you have to cry out to God saying, God, you know, give me more of your strength and more of your abilities. In, In the Spirit, you have it all. And of course, we're going to see as we continue on that there's ways in which we engage with God's word, which allows or doesn't allow him to work in us, depending on how much we're fighting or resisting him. But just know that all of the ability or potential is there. It's not like you have 50% of God. 
you have all of him and all of his help as, as you're living this Christian life. Let's look at another benefit of the Holy Spirit being in us. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Excellent. Right, what happens when you believe in Jesus Christ, right? When you submit it to the gospel, it says you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who what? Is the guarantee of our inheritance. Uh, many of you have probably heard this uh, description, but the idea of a seal uh, was a, a personal mark from a person, an owner, right? And when you would put that seal on a letter or type of, uh, type of business transaction, you were saying, I guarantee by my word and my ability that whatever we're agreeing to is going to happen, right? So if I'm agreeing to purchase a property and you put your seal on it, you are saying, I, based on my wealth, my authority, my ability, am going to purchase this. It will be done. I am guaranteeing, based on who I am, that I am agreeing to this, right? And, and us as human beings, we're fallible, right? You have a, an earthly a human man who has a seal. Sure, you're still trusting in their word, but whose seal do we now have? It is whose? It is God's, right? We have God himself stamping us with the promise of the Holy Spirit, right? How do we know that now that we believe in Jesus, that we are saved, that we will get to our inheritance that we learned about on Sunday? Right? Think about all the promises we heard in the beginning of John 14. How do we actually know? How can we trust and believe that we will be in God's presence, that we will dwell with him despite all of our sin and everything that we do? What is the guarantee? It is what? It is the Holy Spirit. Because he is in us, once he is now in us in this New Testament age, it is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession. And so though we are going to sin, you and I don't need to walk every day saying, man, am I going to one day somehow just lose my, my, my inheritance? Am I going to lose my salvation? None of that's true. Once you have the Spirit, He is the guarantee. And that's why we can walk in full assurance. As we saw on Sunday, that we can walk no longer fearing or wondering or having anxiety. We have peace. Why? Because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And we're not going to belabor these next three points, but let's read them very quickly. How does the Holy Spirit now indwell us? What are the benefits of that? He, of course, sanctifies us, which we'll see a little bit today and next week. He illuminates God's word, which we'll look at next week. He spiritually gifts us, which we'll see in future weeks. All of these are the benefits of having the Spirit indwelling in us. And so just know, men, if you are a believer, if you have the Spirit in you, your life can and should be radically changed. It's not something that you can walk every day just going about your life, you know, living however you please, thinking, man, you know, I'm just a weak believer and I, I don't know if I can do it today. None of that's true. If you have the Holy Spirit, He is working in you. These are the ways that He enables your Christian walk Right? Therefore, there is no excuse, and you should be encouraged to pursue diligently all the things that we're called to do. And again, this is not something that every single believer in all of history can, can bank on, right? The Old Testament was a very different season, and yet now in this period, we have him permanently in us. 
And so now, this brings us to the main question of today. Uh, this is how Costi was introducing the chapter that uh, all of us were reading in his book. The question is, how do we actually gain this work? Right? This is, as he said, the most important question of the book, uh, of really this whole series that we're going through. How is it that we gain the Holy Spirit? And you and I know if you've been listening to any of these uh, uh, talks or the sermons we've had on Sunday, it's a very simple reality. How does this happen? How do we gain the indwelling of the Spirit? It is by believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Simply by trusting and believing in him, we're able to have the Holy Spirit, as we read in Ephesians 1.13. Right? It said, in him, that is Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It starts with truly just believing the gospel and following Christ. And so let me ask you this. I know it's a little bit early, and uh, with it being rainy and cloudy, I know a lot of us feel maybe a little bit more sluggish, but I want to hear from all of you. What does it mean, and how do we become saved? What are the truths that we need to believe? What are some of them? Okay, that's great. Yeah. Other ways to elaborate on that. What is the gospel? How can we be saved? Yes, and then you will be saved, Romans 10, 9. Yeah, very good, right? So you believe in Christ and confess him, good? Yeah. Other verses, truths about how a person can be saved? Imputation, okay. Uh, can you clarify that? Good, yeah, so we need the righteousness of Christ to enter us. That's, that's very true, Andy. Uh, good. And so, man, I, I hope as we're studying the forge, you know, whether it's through actual verses or, or just knowing the truth, very simply, you can explain the gospel of what it means to become saved, right? As we're going through all of these in-depth truths of uh, pneumatology and Christology and hamartiology, I hope we know also the very basic definition of salvation and how we can know the gospel, right? So let me just give you some verses. A lot of this just covers some of the, the things that you men have said. This is what we need to believe in order to be saved. All right, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Right? Very simply, what do we need? We need to believe in the person and the work of Jesus Christ so that we can have eternal life. As we, as we saw on Sunday, John 14:6, Jesus said to him, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, there's not multiple paths to heaven, but there is one, right? It must be through Christ and Christ alone that we can find forgiveness. As it was alluded to by the brother over there, Romans 10, verse 9, because 
if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? So we see the, the belief that he um, died and was risen, but also trusting in Jesus as Lord, that is what? Being willing to follow him, to obey him, to pursue him. Everything about the lordship of salvation. And then, of course, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. We're not saved by our actions, but it is by grace. Why? Because it is by the death and the blood and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so all of us are probably very familiar with these verses, but I would hope that as you're thinking about how indwelling happens, as you're thinking about how you're able to share the gospel, the, the very basics of how we become saved, you're able to reference some of these verses. And if not, hopefully you're not going to these studies of the spirits and the five million points about salvation that we're going to see next semester and forget these very basic, simple truths, right? Everything starts by believing these. And I love how Pastor Rich described it on this last Sunday, right? How do we see in John 14 what we must believe about Jesus Christ in order to be saved? We must trust in three things. Do you guys remember the three main things he said? The works of Christ, the word of Christ, and then the, uh, yeah, or the sufficiency of Christ. Yes, very good. Right? We have to believe in the works that he's done through his death, through his righteousness. We must believe his word. He is the only way. Right? He is the way to know God, and he is sufficient. Right? He is enough. We don't need to trust in anything else that we're doing. So again, don't get so bogged up in all of these complex truths, which again are important to study, that you forget how to know, believe in, praise God for the basic truths of our salvation. There, there's one quote that I think I wrote in your notes over here from Kasi that's so profound but so helpful. As he's describing how we come to know the Holy Spirit, he says, the Holy Spirit invades your life, not through feelings, but through faith. Feelings undoubtedly will be a byproduct of faith, but faith is the foundation. And so again, summarizing everything that we've covered so far about having the Holy Spirit in us, it's not that we're chasing experiences or this dramatic event, but it's simply by trusting in Christ that all of these benefits, all of these blessings that we've seen previously all come to us. And so again, we, this should cause us to a wonder at the simple, profound beauty of the gospel, right? The gospel is not something that we graduate from. It's not like we learn it as a baby Christian. Now we move on to all these other things that we're going to learn, but we come back time and time again to praise God for the simple truth by trusting in Jesus. Everything in our life can change. All of these blessings, all of these empowerments can come to us just by turning to Christ. And so let's not forget that. Let's not overcomplicate that. And as one last note, I, I know here this is uh, typically the quote-unquote cream of the crop of the men of the church, right? You're wanting to be trained as leaders in your home and personally and to serve in the church. You're wanting to engage diligently, waking up as early as you are. But there might be some of you who have never actually turned to know Jesus Christ personally, right? This is just a, an intellectual exercise. Um, I, I'm always reminded of the story that I heard of a man who was a pastor for, I think, over 15 or 20 years. And, and just on one Sunday, he was preaching the gospel as he always did. And it was his wife 
who after years and years of preaching said, you know what, I am not actually saved. Now, again, I, that raises other questions you know, about what were those conversations like going on. But again, I recognize that this happens, right? You can spend your entire lifetime going to church, hear these truths over and over again, and never actually turn and have the Holy Spirit in you. And so I would encourage you, if you've never seriously considered that, think about that. If you have people in your family, your wife, your kids, people who claim to be believers, are you actually talking about what it means to be a believer? Right, these are the simple truths that we must believe in order to have the Spirit indwell in us. So we're going to move on in just a second to talk a little bit about the, the regenerational work of the Spirit. But just really quickly, any questions you men have about the indwelling of the Spirit? Uh, anything that we've covered so far that you have questions about? No? Okay, well, we'll, we'll continue on. Oh, yes. Is it the one about uh, Saul and David? Yeah. So that would be uh, 16, 13, 14. Yeah, so I, I think the way that we would understand that is, of course, you know, evil spirits, that is demons, right? The, the fallen angels that have rebelled against God uh, obviously work, you know, under the authority of Satan to go and to tempt and to uh, work against those who are not God's people. Uh, at the same time, we understand that God, Yahweh, is sovereign over all things that are taking place. And so, of course, we would say that any type of demon or spirit would want to be working against anyone who is not God's person, uh, but that in this sense, we see that as part of the judgment, uh, God was actually allowing a spirit or a demon to basically, uh, you know, terrorize or, or work against Saul. Yeah. Okay. All right. So as we cover uh, regeneration a little bit, I'm sure there might be some more questions. So if those come up, feel free to ask then. So the major topic of today, we're, we're looking at what does it mean and how do we actually get the spirit? Right? How does he first indwell in us? And so we studied, again, the, the basic truths of the gospel. Uh, we've seen some of the amazing ways that the Spirit works in us because he indwells in us. Uh, hopefully these are reasons that we are praising him, we are more encouraged in our walks. Let's look briefly or for a little bit at this topic of regeneration. Uh, Pastor Rich will cover this in some detail as well, but we're going to at least start the conversation this morning. So first of all, what is regeneration? Well, here the definition is the work of the Holy Spirit by which a person is brought from a spiritual, from a state of spiritual death to new and eternal life. And so this is the work in which we who were dead in our trespasses, you and I who were dead in our sins, can be brought to a state of new spiritual life. One of the classic passages that we look at for this is Titus 3, verse 5 and verse 6. Uh, for time's sake, I'm going to go ahead and read it, but uh, you can follow along in your own Bibles here. It says this, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By what? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, by whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So what is it the Holy Spirit does as he's coming into us? He regenerates our hearts and our spirits. He washes us and cleanses us. There's really two ideas in that word regeneration. It is the idea of rebirth, that is a person being born again, which we've heard from John 3, 3 and other passages, and the idea of renewal. 
something that was once old and dirty and raggedy and being made washed to be made clean, right? The, the essence of the person is the same, and yet in another sense, he is completely different. This makes me think of something that happened to my father uh, many years ago. Uh, he once had this a very terrible skin condition. I forget the name. I think it's Pitarius rubus pilaris or something along the lines. I only know that because he would say that almost every day that I would talk to him. It was a very bad skin condition in which his skin would just kind of naturally sh uh, shed. I think it was an autoimmune disease. Uh, but when it was first happening, he was actually misdiagnosed with a different condition that the doctor just happened to get wrong. Uh, and with that other condition, the doctor said, one of the best things you can do to treat it is to stand in front of the sun for as long as you can, and something about the UV rays and the heat will just work magic and make it better. And so we did that for many hours every single day in, in agonizing pain. But it turns out that for PRP, what he actually had, that is the worst thing you could do. Your goal is to actually avoid the sun for as long as you can. Don't let it touch your skin because it's going to agonize and terrorize it and make the condition so much worse, right? And so uh, being a college, uh, in college at the time as I was, with the very shoddy video cameras we have, as I'm uh, Skyping or, or talking to my family once a week in very blurry images, all I could see is this red circle on the screen. Right? He looked like Bob the Tomato almost if you've seen VeggieTales. And I remember not being able to truly see his face, thinking, Dad, what on earth is going on? Right? And he would explain you know, what was taking place. And so copious amounts of skin was just shedding off of his body. And it was painful. It was horrible. Literally him walking around the house like a skin, just shedding off his old layers. But then what happened? When I finally saw him again in person as I was visiting home, he had de-aged over 10 years. And so I looked at him and said, Dad, what on earth? You are literally a new person, right? He looked better, actually much younger. All of the moles that he had on his skin had literally shed off over the course of everything that was taking place. He, he was a new person, right? And that's almost the idea, of course, on a much deeper level that we see in regeneration, right? You are the, the same person that you were, but you're completely new, you are, the old self is now dead. You've been made alive into a new creature before God, internally, not just externally. But that is what happens in regeneration. A couple verses that you can at least write down to be able to look at how this works. Of course, John 3, 3. What does it mean to be regenerate? How does Jesus describe it to Nicodemus? He says it is to be born again. That is that you are no longer the person. You are literally a new entire creature. It is what you see in Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. You have been made alive after death. If you've ever been to a funeral, you know that you see the person being put down into the casket. They are no longer here. But now in Christ, you who have been put down into the casket have been made renew. You've been raised from the dead. It is as you see in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that you are made into a, a new creation as well. This is what's happened to every single believer. And just very briefly to look again at Titus 3, 5, 6. How does this happen? It happens by the work of God, right? It happens as you believe in Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit's regenerate work can take place in you. See, it's the indwelling and the regeneration which happens at the exact same time in the heart of a believer. And one thing just to take away from this section as we're getting ready to wrap up is that you and I cannot do this work ourselves. 
right? It has to start from the act of God. We don't have time to look at all these passages, but as you study the regenerate work of the Spirit, as you study the, the God coming into, you'll notice that a lot of those verbs are passive or, or middle voice. And what that's trying to get at is that it's not that you and I are saying, I, I, I make myself get filled by the Spirit. I grab onto Him. I grab onto this regenerate work. No, it's the opposite. What you see in all of these verses and verbs as you studied on your own is that it is God who's doing this work in you. We can't wash ourselves. We can't cleanse ourselves. It is God who has to cleanse us. And hopefully that's something that you are, are thankful for. So very quickly as we're wrapping up, why does that matter? Again, Pastor Rich will cover this in more detail as we move on from here. But I want to give you one verse and two main exhortations as we finish up. 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 6, 9 through verse 11. It says this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Right? That is such an encouraging verse. And there's two exhortations I want to give to us as we're closing up. Number one, as a believer in Christ who has the Holy Spirit working in you, who's regenerated you, you have a new start. Whatever's happened in your lifetime before you came to know Christ doesn't matter anymore. I know that there are many of us in this room who have had horrible pasts. There are things that you and I regret that you've done, that you've done to other people, right? Horrible, tragic things that you look back and you just feel nothing but shame and guilt and disgust. But one of the great truths that we believe as those who are in Christ, who have been regenerate, we've been washed by the Holy Spirit, is those things, our past, our history, no longer defines us. You no longer have to think about those events, those actions, and think, that is who I am. Because in Jesus, that is not true. You have been washed clean. And so you don't need to feel guilt or shame or worry or sorrow for whatever those things are, because Christ has made you clean. The Holy Spirit working in you has made you clean, and you are now a new person. And every single day, you can start the new day thinking, today is a new day. And I have a new start because of the Spirit's work in my life. But then secondly, on the other side, you also have no excuse. Right? Think about all those promises and the benefits that we saw with the Holy Spirit being in you. Ways that you and I are now empowered to live for Christ that the Old Testament believers could not, right? That was why as you study in the Old Testament period with Israel, you know, though there were people who were believers, they were falling time and time after again into folly, right? The vast majority of them were rebelling against God. And though time and time he would judge them, he would discipline them, they would realize their mistakes and come back. What happens each time? It gets worse and worse and worse. Until eventually God says, what? I will give you a new heart. I will work in you. And now in the New Testament period, because we have the Spirit, that's why we can live completely differently. 
That's why we are now more empowered than even the Old Testament saints were at times, because we now have him. And so in, however you're living today, just know, yes, you have been clean. You've been washed of your past transgressions. But you can also no longer live for yourself. Right? You can't say, you know what? Today was just a hard day. This was a hard week. You know, I've been going through a lot of things. That's why I'm falling into this sin or I'm just not pursuing the Lord as I should. All of that is complete folly. Because if you have the Spirit in you, you are empowered to live every aspect of the Christian life. And so it's something, men, that we cannot take for granted. We cannot grow weary or lethargic or sluggish in this life because we know that as we have the Spirit in us, everything is now different. And so, brothers, I hope you're encouraged by what we've covered today. I hope you're exhorted and challenged that you would be thinking about the ways that you need to apply this even today as you go from here, as men you engage in your Ironman groups or as you reflect later on. Um, this is the truth of God's word, and let's be encouraged by it. So we have some time left. I, I did want to leave some time here for just questions. Uh, I know that Pastor Rich will cover regeneration more going into next week, but any initial questions about either the indwelling or the regenerate work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Rich. Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, all people have a conscience in a sense of what's right and what's wrong. Um, but the Holy Spirit's work, as described in that passage, is also an additional thing, right? So basically, to some degree, especially through the presence of the Israelites, the people around there could be convicted of sin. And through our consciences, yes, we have an understanding of what's right and what's wrong. Um, but with the Holy Spirit now coming into believers, and as Jesus is leaving, we're now in a new era of time, especially as the book of Acts is getting started. There is an additional sense in which the Holy Spirit uh, is convicting all people of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So I would say that can be connected as he works through our conscience. But at the same time, uh, that is also an additional new work uh, that he's doing here presently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... It's one of those things where if you ask most people, non-believers today, do you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you? Uh, most of them will say no. You know, there are some that do say, you know, I, I just know that I'm rebelling against God, even if they can't fully articulate what that is, right? There is times that that happens. In most cases, people would say no. Um, but the way that we would understand that is on the day of judgment, as people's eyes are fully open, right? All of their hardened hearts are revealed. Every person will be able to look back and say, you know what, I was convicted uh, of the truth in some sense. Good. Uh, other questions about what we've covered so far? Yeah, you know, so in one level, uh, you know, you can point to some of these works about what the Holy Spirit has done to regenerate us. Of course, all the passages about our uh, salvation being by grace alone. I would say when a person is, you know, saying they are, they are presently believers, they are believing in the work of grace, and yet they still feel the weight of their guilt, there's a sense in which 
they're looking, you can look at two different things. You can look at the work of Christ, his promises, and trust and believe and hold on to that, or you can cling on to your actions. And whether it's a heart posture, just what they're focusing their attention on, uh, they're most likely just dwelling on all of those things, right? Oh, those actions that I'm doing, these sins, all of that's so bad. And, and it is good, right? There is a healthy examination of ourselves. But I would say to you know, believers like that, uh, you more so want to be pointing them to say, how can you actually focus your attention on the work of what Christ has done? Focus on that and say, this is what defines me. You know, going back to, I think, you know, Andy's comment, as you see in uh, 2 Corinthians, you know, we now have the righteousness of God in us. And so it's not that we have to look at ourselves and what we've done and say, this is what's defining me now. Of course, we need to fight against our sin. But what is it that ultimately defines us as God the Father looks at us? It is the, the righteousness of Christ. And so I would ch- encourage that person, you know, look at some of these passages and say, how much are you really meditating and dwelling on these as your true reality? versus listening to the vo- you, yourself talk to you. Because we have a self-talk, right? We're going to speak some kind of truth to ourselves. They're either going to be the truth that we speak, which isn't actually true, or it's going to be the truth of what God has said that we're going to speak and rehearse and meditate to ourselves. Right. Yeah, that's a great observation, Kurt. So hopefully for those of you who were there in the summer, or if you weren't there, please go back and listen to some of the, the sessions we had. It's so important that we don't slack off in quotes, right? That's why a Hebrew says we must still strive for holiness, right? We take this battle against sin seriously, in part knowing we have the empowerment of the Spirit, right? So if some people say, man, I, I'm struggling with this sin. I, I, know, I know who Jesus Christ is. I'm following him, but I, I can't do it. On your own, you cannot. But because you have the spirit in you, that's why you can and you are empowered to fight that battle. Yeah. Good. We have time for just maybe one or two more questions, observations. Okay, great. Well, Matt, I don't want to keep you, so we'll go ahead and finish a couple minutes early. Look at that. Uh, two minutes early. I know typically that doesn't happen, but I don't have nearly as much to say as some other people, so... Uh, Man, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I hope your Ironman groups go well. And if there are any other questions, feel free to come up and speak with me after. Okay, thank you.